Canterbury fails. Their Canterbury fails. Probably never read them. The Canterbury fails. Might be moralistic or boring. Might be rhetorically soaring. Their Canterbury fails. Yeah. All right. All right. We are back. We are back. The Canterbury fails. Returns. Yes. For season. The second. Yeah, rising out of the grave like a grotesque zombie of sorrow and, de- you know, and, and, and waste. And literary despair. And yeah. we know, we yes. know that our listener right now is pouring a tall, frosty beverage and is going to curl up and listen to this for at least you honestly the think first that four or look, five minutes. <laughs> they look forward to it. You know they're being strapped into a chair and they forced, hear, forced they to listen to it hear, like... Um, like a, like a clockwork, clockwork orange. Yeah, yeah clockwork like, orange style. Like somebody is sitting there with their eyes peeled <laughs> yeah. open. It's like, you have to, your punishment is the Canterbury Fair. No! No, but I think this is going to be exciting, and people are going to be really excited when they hear what we have in store this season. We have not one, but two significant events that we want to tell you about. For this season of the Canterbury Fail. So that if you ever do get to be unbuckled from that chair from which you are being forced to listen to the fails, um, you will be happy to do a little dance of hat joy when uh, you learn that, well, first of all, well, I'll do the second one, you do the first one, because okay. you have the details on the second one, right? The first, which is the first one? The first one's the first chronologically, which is, uh, sorry, not going to be mentioned right now, The in, in May of 2023... <sighs> Um, the Canterbury Fails will be recording live uh, at the International Congress of Medieval Studies in Kalamazoo, Michigan. That's right, people. They gave us a session <laughs> no, to not, do this. Watch out. We don't deserve it. It's true. But we are really lucky because we have six rock stars Far better academics than I will ever pretend it's, to it be. Is, it is a fantastic lineup, and yeah. we can't tell you right now because, no. frankly, we need to actually tell them. But yeah. uh, we've got great people. It's going to be uh, awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so fun. They'll be doing a kind of a high speed version of the fails where they will have about 15 or 20 minutes to talk about. Uh, their texts, uh, and there'll be three different fails presented by six brilliant people. We're really looking forward to that. We also have an event coming up in October. And that is a crossover episode. Oh, my God. A crossover episode. Like fanfic. Just like, just like <laughs> it. Our fan. Um, with the Women's Print History Project Monthly Mercury. Mm. That is a spoken web podcast. This is an 18th century podcast that we have talked to the two wonderful people that run it, yep. Kate and Candace, and it seems much more sophisticated than ours in every oh my God. possible Advanced, way. Smarter, but we're gonna point. have some kind of you know so, face off or something <laughs> like that. We're, we're, we're gonna off. gather. It's a, a fail, fail off. off. It is a it's fail gonna off. be a fail off. That'll be in October. Um, and so keep your ears peeled for that episode. We think it will involve monks. We're pretty excited yeah, about monks. it. But let's get to today's text, our first text back of season two. It's 2022. It's fall. We have been on our long summer hiatus. We have both returned to duty, our work. Um, I... Uh, may die in the middle of this podcast because I have worked about 110 hours this week. But Coley is fresh as a goddamn daisy. I, on the other hand, have uh, finished my uh, administrative gig and I'm back to being a good old-fashioned professor. And I can tell you, friends, 
It is fine. No. Um, Shut the front door. So, sorry, Matt. Um, so today, today, our first fail is a Middle English fail this mm. year. Uh, I have selected this fail, and it is... Oh, my God. It is grisly. It is such a fail. It, is, it might be the most failiest fail we've Well, failed. let's talk about it and then okay. see how you feel. Okay. It is a piece, wait for it, people, of Middle English... Courtesy literature oh. for ch- for children. People are turning off their TV or whatever right now. They're it like, is no. It is a 15th century piece of courtesy literature for children. Courtesy literature, for those of you that don't know, is literature that basically tells you how to behave. It's not really a genre we have so much in the 21st century. No, it's century. not. But it, I mean, imagine if imagine if like Miss Manners wrote still existed. Still, <laughs> still oh, that's my dog. That's our third yeah. podcaster. Yeah, still existed and um, wrote the driest, most boring thing you've ever read. That's but courtesy verse. literature in verse. This one's in verse, yeah. but this is also for children, yeah. uh, and so it really combines two of uh, my co-podcaster Matt Hussey's personal loves, <laughs> young adult literature oh, yeah. and courtesy literature. Oh my god. I brought these it's together. the Venn diagram sweet spot. <laughs> just for him. Yeah. Uh, this is called Bebe's Book, or the baby's book, or the children's book. It is from a manuscript that is now known as Harley Manuscript 5086. So it's uh, in the British Library. It is in the British Library, and I can give you a little bit of information about uh, Babes' book and oh. its manuscript context. Please do. It seems to be, uh, the British Library claims it is from the first half of the 15th century, but one of the one scholars <laughs> of recent years on Babes' book, uh, Deanna Delmar Evans, suggests that it's from 1475. So there's obviously in the hotly contested world of Bebe book studies, mm. um, there mm-hmm. is some mm. dissent about when the date was. Um, and we can talk about why... It's a 25-year <laughs> swing. It's a medieval text. 25 <laughs> years is good. That's yeah, fine. I know, but by the time we get to the 15th century, we can usually start to narrow it down a little bit. To me, this reads a little bit earlier, uh, but, you know, that's just because of the, the verse form, which I really associate with the early uh, 15th century, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, That's you, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. It is, um, it's, its contexts are aristocratic, as you would imagine a piece of children's courtesy literature would be. It is included in its manuscript with uh, The Master of Game, uh, which is a hunting manual, the first English hunting manual. Another mm. piece of children's literature, the ABC of Aristotle. Uh, get it for your kids and put them to sleep. Oh my God! Kids Immediately, love Aristotle. <laughs> a dietary... Daddy, read me the part about how bugs come out of mud. <laughs> a dietary for King Henry V, which gives us at least a uh, terminus post post quem, uh, and then a treatise on equine medicine in case you're done with your children and you want to treat your horse. Um, So those are the manuscript contexts. And obviously this positions it in an aristocratic milieu. And there is even some evidence in Bebe's book uh, where they mention uh, young Bebe's whom blood royal with grass, uh, fechor, and he habital hath enormed. Um, there is some possibility, I guess, that this could be for royal babies. This brings us to uh, Deanna Delmar. Aristocratic, aristocratic but you know, I love the idea that it might be royal babies because what Deanna Evans suggests is that this was probably written at around the time of Edward V, one of the two princes That's in the tower. Right, right, and right. I join her in wanting this to be the very last thing Edward the Fifth read before he was stuffed in a tower and left for dead by his 
Here, uncle. learn your manners. <laughs> I love it. So, so for that reason alone, I kind of want it to be late. Oh. Um, but I'm not sure it is. In any event, um, the other thing that's interesting about this, if you can call it interesting, is that it is written in rhyme royal stanza. And rhyme royal stanza is a stanza form. It's a that, seven line stanza. It's a seven line stanza form. Uh, it is written in iambic pentameter. It has an A, B, A, B, B, C, C rhyme scheme. And it was, if not invented... It was certainly developed and innovated most famously by Chaucer, and yeah. then was used yeah. uh, for the Troilus and Crusade, yeah. for some of the sort of of Fowls. upper echelon Canterbury tales that seem a little bit more aristocratic classy. leaning. Classy. Uh, it's a classy. Well, verse I used that. Form. I used classy intently. Yeah. I'm not um, joking around. And, and no, no, no. That your, your your intent is it's clear. all about class. It is all about class. Yeah. Um, and then other writers come along and use it later in, 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 in imitation of Chaucer and in imitation of his classiness. So you get Hockleave, Lydgate, James the First, Henryson, folks like that. Uh, so that's rhyme royal. Yeah. Now this is a conduct manual for children written in rhyme, and you're sort of a media thought here. And not be, an easy verse form. Well, like. that's that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> like you would think, okay. If it were written in like couplets, couplets with you know, eight, you know, there once was a fork you could stuff it, <laughs> or pentasyllabic couplets, or something like that, that would be easy for young people to remember. The verse form might make some sense, but this is not a memorable verse form. It's not something that like drills into your head no. like a limerick, right. and so it's a weird choice for a conduct manual. Um, and uh, I guess what we might be able to say about it is that it is simply underscoring, Matt, what you pointed out, which are sort of the class associations yeah. of That's this. All I can think of. Um, because otherwise, there is literally no reason to use this verse form. Um, and then I guess we need to start talking about the poem itself. Um, but Should in order to really do that, yeah. I think we need to be half in the bag. So well, tell us about this. This isn't going to get us half in the bag of anything. But today's cocktail, cocktail uh, which is carefully matched to this poem um, is a luminescently pink Shirley Temple, <laughs> Shirley Temple black or dirty Shirley. This is essentially Shirley Temple with vodka in it. It is a kid's drink, but with an adult purpose, which is what this poem is. Yep. Fair enough. It is also insipid and really empty of any character much like this poem <laughs> so that's really all i have to say about it vodka seven up grenadine and a gross cherry made of plastic i Chin love that you brought the cherry. bad cherries oh, of too. of course i'm going bad it's low down salad i'm getting only seven up in that top <laughs> notch part but yeah, it does need a stir um, the the thing about this drink was when i looked it Oof. up when i looked up this drink it was like, this is the hot drink of the summer. And I pictured all these Brooklyn hipsters, sorry if you're one, uh, drinking this drink. And I was like, why? It's just so sweet. And well, here's here's the thing. I mean, I think of this it's as... Like soda pop. Like the kind, of, the kind of drink that is marketed to people who cannot yet drink. I mean, this is... This is your freshman college year drink of choice. Again, right <laughs> of a piece like with babies. the baby's book, book, which is, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to deliver some, some, you know, substance. Oh, it is sweet. Oh God, it's so sweet. My teeth already need to fall out. <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, it is easy drinking, I guess. Uh, I guess if you don't mind a sucrose blast to your internal organs but yeah so this is the uh this is the drink of the day so david why don't we talk about the poem 
Oh my god. I mean, where do you start here? I can read a little bit of it, but there's... I have a couple things to say, but I thought maybe since we just talked about the form, we could talk about um, the rhyme okay. uh, royale. Which I still think... I mean, I know you... I, have, I like your explanation. Like, I like this notion that it's, it's just about the, the class associations that come with the aristocratic courtly value that the verse form has. Yep. But it is so... It is so not useful in helping you remember anything. It is not useful for bebes at all. No. It's so, and so, which which raises the question, surely babies didn't really, I mean, baby, baby just means kid. Right. Um, you know, surely kids were not listening to this be recited. Maybe they were. Edward V was. <laughs> I mean, Edward V and Tower. But, um, but what I found interesting is that it is a fairly complex and sophisticated verse form, right? Yeah. Whereas... The, the the it's the most singularly unmemorable poem. Yeah. There are very few images. There are virtually no. There's like one set of similes. Yeah. There is nothing interesting well, about this is, poem. I mean, I think what I need to do is find a couple stanzas that just sort of do what this poem does, which is it tells you like what to do at the dinner table when you sit down yeah. and somebody has a soup and you have a piece of meat. Like it is that. Boring. Yes. So here we go. This is if you're following along in <laughs> Bebe's gonna... book at home. <laughs> yeah. If you get out your copy, I'm just gonna drink my drink. Yeah. This is starting. I'm gonna start at line 155. Mm. Oh my God, that drink is just. Crazy. It is horrible. Wait, no, here. Why don't you just take a sip every time? Every time you get bored with this, take a drink. All right. Juan Ye shall drink. Matt. Juan Ye shall drink. Your mouth cleanse with a cloth. Your handus ache that they in no manner imbrow the cup. Oh For then shall none be loth with you to drink that ben with you affair. The salt also touch not in his salaire with nokens mate, but lay it honestly on your trencher. For that is court to say. Yeah. So, do you want me to read another one? No, no. here we go. No, no. Your clothes no. with meat to your mouth not bare. And in your hand, nor hold ye it no way. A gift to you be brought good meat sir. Look, I, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm done. That was ten okay. lines. So, here's the deal. Right, so but basically it says when you drink instructions. I, I probably don't need to translate that because was that fairly clear? Well, I mean, when you drink, wipe your mouth with a cloth and your hands so that they don't imbrue the cup, so they dirty, don't dirty the stain cup. the cup. For then, nobody will be loath to drink with you that might be there in your company. Also, also make exciting. sure that the salt, you don't touch the salt in its cellar with the meat, but lay it honestly on your trencher, for that is courtesy. So, like, this is the kind of thing that, and frankly, Mom, if you're listening, that you used to teach me when I was a baby. My dog is off the chain He's out right. there He's on, the, right. on the porch. Um, Things like, break your bread before you butter it. You know, don't just slab it on like you're, like, troweling a brick sure. or something yeah. like that. So. These are lessons about how They're, to behave at the table. It's a table manners instructions, and it's super didactic. It is super straightforward, just like David translated. It's, there's nothing creative or witty about it. Not even a little. Not bit. even a little bit. And the rhyme royal does nothing. Dick to elevate. It doesn't help it. That's at all. the weird. In thing. fact, I think it calls attention to its completely prosaic nature. 
So, right? it, so it, what you're saying is, in some way, the rhyme royal makes this worse. It does because it's it does it because it it like you know if you're like I don't know the after you know the early 15th century folks. I don't know like the history of Rhyme Royale. I'm used to Chaucerian Rhyme Royale, Troilus and Crusader, Parliament of Fowls. Like these are like brilliant, complex, um, unbelievable stanzas. Well, and but yet this it. is just like yeah. then take your cup, put it on your face. Like it is so bad. So I think that Rhyme Royale actually is uh, is like dissonant with the content. Yeah. It might be a better as like a bullet point list. And with the, you know the people you mentioned Chaucerian, but the people that I mentioned in my sort of 15th century list, I mean Lydgate is not my favorite. I know he's you know people are trying to resuscitate Lydgate, and if that's your thing, that's fine. Um, sure. But Lydgate's not my favorite, but he knows what he's doing with a rhyme oh. royal stanza, and he does it again and again and again and again. Henryson stuff is amazing, right? The Testament oh, of Cressid which is written it, in rhyme royal. Yes, it has um, to be. Of course it does, yeah. uh, because Troilus and Crusade is written in there. But then Hockleaf uses Rhyme Royal in a se- in the series, and it's beautiful. It's I mean, amazing. it's amazing. James That's the First and the King is Queer. I mean, these are impressive, erudite, this is... carefully crafted stanzas that play with language, that play with rhyme, yeah. that that use this does none of that. that tool for something. And this is literally a list. Of stuff you do and yeah. don't do with your drink. So, and this is, I mean, we often on this podcast, we often come to these texts and we're like, well, maybe we just don't get what a medieval readership, what literary taste was in that period. But there are not very many copies of this. This is not. This I think is, this is just the one. This is not a popular text. So maybe it just makes sense that it wasn't very good then and it wasn't very good now. I do have like one, a couple things that I think are kind of intriguing. Mm. Which oh, are, Matt, are you going to provide us with the redemption? Arc? I will never do that for this <laughs> poem. But I will say, I mean, one thing that that we're just taking for granted but might be worth thinking about, but maybe not, which is that it's in English, right? Here we have a 15th century yep. text in English for an aristocratic child maybe even royal child this is not in french yeah. right? and there, there is a there is a fairly robust uh courtesy literature in, in french french as well as in latin the facetus tradition oh, yeah, right? yeah. Um, which is mentioned here yeah and and that's that's right it invokes it, this is actually one of the only sort of moderately lit <laughs> if you guys could see matt's face while he drinks this drink my dentist is calling right now on the phone to stage an intervention dentist is excited because he's going to be able to put down a payment on something on his after new boat. This. <laughs> but so there is on at line 50 the I guess we can oh, call by the him way, the baby poet. Here's the other thing. The baby poet uses... It's the longest preamble to <laughs> a tale you have ever heard. This is, it's a it hundred and something lines. That is very much in keeping with 15th century verse. Fair that enough. is very much Fair in keeping enough. with the kind of... And we see, and what's great about it... I mean, this is not the redemption arc either. But what's interesting about it is we see in this poem all those things, all the sort of hallmarks of the 15th century, you get the dullness trope. Like, if, you know, alas that I am not civilized enough to provide you the kind of guidance that you need, young squire. Like, you get all that stuff that you get in 15th century literature. So in some, it's like a piece of 15th century literature in every possible way. But there is... Which is why I don't like it. Um, But it is, it's a chord of 50 lines or so in is where you're still, we're still, we're still prologue. And he talks about there is some, some cleverness there. There is a there is a um, an invocation to who is it? Hold on, Facetious. It. It's, it's it's Oladi mean Facetia, Facetia, which I feel like is like a drug to help grow your hair back. But <laughs> um, 
it's interesting. I thought that was interesting, kind of that um, he prays for oh. Uh, oh Maria, Mother Digni, like he prays to the Virgin Mary, yeah. and then the next line is Oh La Dimin Facicia. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and I thought that line seventy-five described the poem perfectly. Read it for me. <laughs> for many words, been ricked tedious. <laughs> many words are very tedious. Um, so, uh, so I mean, the poem. You know, so its Englishness perhaps is interesting, right? That it is, it's a poem that, um, it's a poem that uh, is is in, in English when the aristocracy was transitioning out of mostly French speaking, yeah. right? By by this point, um, though it remains an aristocratic language well into the late Middle yeah. Ages. So, I mean, in, in perhaps linguistically that's interesting. I don't know. Well, it's the kind of thing that you mention in passing. It's, I mean, we've, we've sometimes in the past thought the about... The only thing this poem deserves is mention in passing. <laughs> Baby, that is all it's gotten. This is, this is a true fail. There is nothing on this as far as I can tell. <laughs> um, okay, and I have one last thing. I have one last thing, too. So you go first, and then I'll, I'll, I'll bring my last thing. Okay, my I last do, thing there's is... one stanza I do, I do kind of into. Okay, so this is one thing. last bigger picture bigger picture thing about this poem that perhaps makes it interesting. I'm down to uh, the grenadine all sank to the bottom. There's oh, nothing it? here but grenadine. Mm. And vodka, I poured that in first. I think the vodka's gone. I think the grenadine, yeah. it's 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 heavier. It's specific gravity is heavier. And it... It's a D, it's a, it's a, Oof. the Shirley Temple. Um, okay, so here's the thing. The one thing about the, one of the, one of the things about this text that might be interesting in terms of study is it is an explicit and clear-cut case, as you kind of mentioned before, of how class yeah. ideology becomes embodied. And naturalized. Right? Like, this is yep. habitus, right? This is straight out of habitus. This is, you know, Marcel Mauss's bodily hexis. This is like that that ideology is embedded in how yep. we act, how we move, how our bodies move. Yep. And this is a text that teaches you how to move and act to be embodied in a way to convey and reinforce and reproduce yeah. clear class lines, right? Yep. So this is about how to produce an aristocratic body. Well, this literally builds class for children. Into their how they move. Yeah. Into how they eat, into how the, how or when or if they can ever talk, right? That it is so we have a text then that does the work that we see elsewhere um, less explicitly, but here very explicitly like this is a text that just is a straight up instruction manual for how to move your body in such a way that yeah. makes you aristocratic and this is a point that actually um edith rickert who translated the furnival um first of all first of all edith rickert is amazing she's fascinating oh totally completely fascinating um but she translated into sort of modern English at some point the edition of this poem that was put forth by Furnival in the sort of mid-19th century. Mm -hmm. She translated in the early 20th century, like 1902 or something like that, into just a sort of modern English crib, I think, for further study. And nobody took her up on it. But she notes two figures in the Canterbury Tales who seem to have read or read late this particular um quote, poem. Um, and it's obviously it's the squire and the prioress, right? And both of those, I mean, the, 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 for the squire, who is the knight's son, there is a sense that those gestures, those motions, that body, right, 
has been more successfully naturalized. For the prioress. For the prioress. <laughs> it's not. It's not, right? And yeah. so, you know, Chaucer But she clearly, does, she wipes her lip. She wipes her lip. Yeah. But Chaucer makes a point of, of, I think in some ways by pointing those things out, yeah. right? By showing her doing that, by by emphasizing how, you know, courtly her French is, um, by emphasizing how... How courtly you know, her manners there are. Her, there's no grease in her water. Like It's affected. We, it, 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 by pointing that out, Chaucer shows the kind of, you know, to use the term, the facetiousness of those gestures for the prioress. Yeah. With the squire, there is a sense that he is, you know, he carved before his father at the top. He did it right. And he did it exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so those, those gestures for him are naturalized. So I think in some ways, I mean, again, I'm thinking about how to teach with this thing, and I, I wouldn't. I'm not going to assign this for a class my students would, I would, I would lose. Seminar. I would lose enrollment <laughs> like that. You know, it would be terrible. I, have, I was thinking there are there is an audience for this. Reenactment people. Oh, there right? we go. If you were doing a medieval feat, Society for Creative Anachronism, get your jerkin on. They might already have it. <laughs> I mean, they're always way ahead of me anyway. But like, you know, this is where you could learn how to actually yeah. eat like you're supposed to eat in 1450. Yeah. So there you go. All right. The other thing that I think is interesting here, and you're talking, I mean, it, it's of a piece with what you're suggesting yeah. um, about the um, about the sort of creating the aristocratic body or, or the, you know, moving like a, a courtier. Um, there is one comparison, uh, one direct comparison. Um, it's, it's like literally like the only sort of vaguely literary thing in this piece of oh, yeah, Curtis yeah, literature. Was... And it's on one... 76 right uh, and and the poet says the the um, the baby the baby poet says could not your mate ache as it were field men that to their mate have such an appetite that they ne reckon what we where ne when nor how ungodly they on their mate twait yeah. so this is basically don't cut your meat like you're some kind of field hand those people that who to their meat are so hungry all the time that they don't care in what way or when or where or how ungodly they Ungodly. hack away yeah. at their meat, right? And so there is this idea. I mean, so there are two things that are embedded here. First is obviously you're not a field hand, aristocratic youth. No, don't, so don't act like don't, one. Yeah, don't be right. But the second is that idea of hunger. And poverty, yep. and this is this this is a kind of literature that can only even remotely be useful to people who are full, who are not hungry, right? Yep. I mean, if you're hungry and somebody puts a bowl in front of you, and then you have to take like the sixteen steps before you cut a tiny piece of meat, don't have too much in your mouth that you can't talk to yep. your aristocratic neighbors. Yes. Like, if you're hungry, you shovel it in. And yeah. there are lots of people in the 15th century, and God knows now, yep. that are hungry. Sure. So this is, you know, that comparison and that one single stanza is certainly not redemptive. It's damning to me. I mean, I find this sort of repugnant, right? Of course. But it's fascinating to see how that's embedded in, again, the motion, the behavior, mm -hmm. the sort of way of being, the habitus, yeah. um, the habitus. That, that you're describing. So yeah. Yeah. that's... No, it's, it's, uh, it, it's clearly like, you know, we... If, if and I think this is still true like when people have like we're like the queen just died and we're watching all these bizarre ceremonies and how people behave yeah. and how they behave how the royal 
family or whoever the hell they are now, like walk and talk and stuff. It's like a clear indicator of their class, yeah. right? It's it, it it affirms this fictive notion that this poem opens with of royal blood. Yep. Right. Yep. That somehow blood biology is this innate trait that produces value and worth. Right? Yeah. yeah. So if somebody had to go and tell the bees. Time. Oh, that was true. That it is time to rate. The poem. You're the rater. I have a, a a sense of what you might give it, okay. but but so I want to know the your scale. scale. The scale is one to three utensils. The okay. spoon, which is mentioned. Yep. The knife, which is mentioned. There are no forks in the Middle Ages. No, there are not. And the trencher. I love the trencher. The trencher, which started out as a stale piece of bread four day old hunk of yeah which they put the bread. food on but then it evolved into a piece of wood um so uh it's from one to three uh uh medieval uh table utensils and i'm going to give this poem a full zero <laughs> <laughs> it is not worth a spoon trencher or a kniff not even a kniff it's got no there's no kniff for this poem i, I mean and i still enjoyed myself talking about it but it was a wretched piece of work. Yeah, I think I may have to agree with you there. If it if it even earns a trencher, mm. I think it only earns a bread trencher. Like the not kind the full wood you one. Can, not the full wood one. Like maybe like a piece of a bread trencher that you might use to scoop, you know, meat into your mouth and put salt on or something like that. So yeah, I'm with you. This is a this is a zero utensil poem. Right. It is not it is not it is it is a true Fail. It's a true fail. So I'm glad I could bring this. I did. Me, I'm very happy. I always bring these terrible, dreckful poems and texts and stuff. And then you're like, "This one's gonna suck." And then it's like, "This is the funnest penis poem well, I've is, read this but week." This is how I felt about you. Remember, I thought I was really, I thought I was really bringing us down with that, the the hook the fishing with an angle. That, that turned out nice. It was wonderful. Yeah. All right, so, so this is I, I'm I'm glad that I could provide a zero trencher poem for you or a zero utensil poem. The drink. <laughs> this is also horrible. <laughs> this is really bad. It's super trendy. Dude, who drinks this? I don't know. Like six-year-olds? This is disgusting. There is... You cannot taste the alcohol. That's the point of vodka. Right. So there is no pleasure to be had about trying to like decipher, oh, this is a really interesting kind of gin that you've used, or this nope. is a really earthy, peaty scotch. <laughs> like, there's none of that. It is just... And then there is, there is 7-Up, which tastes... Like seven up, um, yeah, and then there is grenadine, yep. which I can still feel sliding down the back of my throat. And there's a terrible cherry, and that was a terrible cherry. Yeah, I've forgotten what those cherries taste like. The fake maraschino. Yeah, the fake maraschino. I don't use. So a lot of what's those. your what's your rank? This this in, this may in fact be a zero utensil oh, drink. Oh wow! This is a total goose egg of a Canterbury fan. And you know what? I totally agree. <laughs> Uh, I will say there's one distinguishing thing. Or do you I like mean, the I like the cherry. Unlike when we had that horrible Oh the little dickle do? Little dickle do. That was pretty bad. Or even the whale poop one. Those were bad. <laughs> those were really bad. This isn't like bad. Like it's not like it's not it doesn't taste gross on your t palate. I it's mean, just it's like you feel bad drinking it. It's like <laughs> punishingly sweet. No, it is. It's it's like glow in the dark orange. It's like, I mean, it is literally like a cocktail for kids. Like if you're trying to get a kid drunk, I highly recommend. No, I don't. I don't recommend getting kids drunk. You're gonna get us canceled. Why, uh, what are you doing? We're so ready for that. But um, so this is 
it's terrible. It's a zero out it's of zero. It's a zero. We, we, so just, this might be the first fail where everything's zeroed out. <laughs> so aren't you so glad you came back for season, season two? Season number two <laughs> in the house. All right. So, uh, stay, it's old English next time. Next time it's old English. Uh, stay tuned and, um, and thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.